KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Recall candidates debate as Newsom's poll numbers tumble. They really focused on their attacks on the governor and argument for the recall. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. We'll hear from people who are dealing with COVID after being vaccinated. I did start crying because it was like, we did everything right. And the weekend preview strikes a new note with the opening of the Rady Shell at Jacobs Park. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The numbers are not going in the right direction for California Governor Gavin Newsom. A new Survey USA poll finds half of likely voters say they would vote to remove Newsom from office. If Newsom does not survive the recall election next month, there are 46 registered candidates hoping to take his place. Four of the most prominent Republicans in that field met in debate this week. Former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner was among them. Their debate performances could influence state GOP party members who meet to discuss an endorsement tomorrow. Joining me is Marisa Lagos with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Marisa, welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, former GOP gubernatorial candidate John Cox was also in that debate. Who were the other two candidates and what were the main issues? Yeah, so we had former Congressman Doug Osi from the Sacramento area and current Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, who's also from basically the same area as Doug Osi. Um, they're friends and actually former business partners, as it turns out. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of this debate was spent kind of ripping Newsom, right? They really focused on their attacks on the governor and argument for the recall. Um, but we definitely got some sort of GOP red meat there. There was talk about critical race theory, about the border wall and sanctuary cities, uh, talk of even China policy. So something's kind of well beyond the purview of what a governor does and definitely kind of in the realm of what, you know, GOP base voters might want, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, because this is not a GOP primary, right? This is something where you have the Republican Party really backing this, but they need independents and even potentially Democrats if they're going to get this over the finish line. 
Right. So former Mayor Faulkner has been trying to win moderate GOP and independent support. So did he strike that moderate tone in this week's debate? You know, not as much as you all might remember him doing four years ago or something like that as mayor of San Diego. Um, You know, he, for example, wouldn't rule out the idea of following the lead of people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and banning local school districts and cities and counties from instituting mask mandates. He didn't say he would ban it, but he didn't say he wouldn't, right? He kind of tripped over himself trying not to talk about President Trump, but ultimately said he would accept the endorsement of the former president or any Democrat or Republican who wanted uh, to back the recall in his candidacy. You know, I think that Faulkner's really trying to run on his record in San Diego, and he did bring up, you know, his work with the city council, which of course was largely Democratic when he was in office. But again, this is a hard needle to thread for these folks because they need to activate their base but they also need to reach out to other people. And I think Faulkner didn't want to be seen as too far to the center. Now, the state GOP party members meet tomorrow and they could endorse a recall candidate. Is there a front runner for that endorsement? I think conventional wisdom is that Faulkner would be the the leader in that. But, you know, there's some 46 candidates on the ballot. We only saw four of them in this debate. Uh, Larry Elder, L.A. area talk show host, longtime kind of libertarian, very vocal. He's actually been leading in polls. And so I think it'll be interesting to watch. The threshold for an endorsement, though, is 60 percent. And I think it's pretty unlikely that anyone could get there. Um, But I think that some of the other candidates felt like they didn't want to see the state party endorse because they thought that someone like Faulkner, who's been in politics for so long, might kind of have the upper edge on that. Now, as I said in the open, recent polling seems to indicate that Governor Newsom could be in real trouble with this recall. How is his campaign reacting? Well, they're sitting on over $50 million. So I think we're going to really see how they're reacting in the coming days. I mean, they have sought to really paint this as a Republican effort. They actually won a court battle this week to do so, you know, in the voter guide uh, that voters are going to be getting in in just a couple weeks. So I I think we're going to be seeing a lot more ads, a lot more talking. We already saw Senator Elizabeth Warren come out with a pro-Newsom ad recently. But this is crunch time for them. And you're right. I mean, I think that polls show that Democrats just aren't as excited about this. And that's really the thing for Newsom. If he can activate his base, it's a cakewalk. But if Democrats stay home, if they just don't care, if they don't send back those mail ballots, it's going to be a much tougher thing for him uh, to get over the finish line. And of course, the second question here is who replaces him? Whoever gets that would, if the recall question is successful, that second person, that second question, the person only needs a plurality. So you could have someone with 15% of the vote who becomes the next governor of this huge state. And what are the reasons that Democrats don't seem to be energized and that Newsom is losing ground with voters? Well, I think that this has been a tough past year and a half. I think that you are seeing, you know, some slidebacks around COVID progress and that that might be tough for people. It's also the middle of summer. People are traveling. It's really hard, I think, in a recall, unless you have like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type figure um, well, although that didn't work out great for for Gray Davis, but you know, a recall is such a different, so different than most uh, elections where you have he's kind of running against himself, and so I think that the combination of that and quite frankly the fact that Trump isn't in office anymore, and I think Democrats, after you know four years of being on edge, have kind of breathed a sigh of relief the past six months. I think it's all kind of playing in there, but this race isn't over. You know, polls are polls. We have seen in the past that they're not always the best indicator 
indication of actually where things are. Um, and I will say that I think even though the election, you know, is a little over a month away, we do still have a long way to go. Okay, it's over a month away. When do we start getting ballots in the mail? We will be getting ballots in the next couple weeks. The sample ballots are sent out on August 5th. The main ballots will be sent out in mid-August. And, you know, folks will have until September 14th to fill those out or and get them back. There will be uh, voting on Election Day at centers around the state. Um, but I think that's something that both sides are really going to be working on in the coming days is going out, making sure people know that the ballots are coming, that they need to fill them out and return them and do so correctly and on time. I've been speaking with Marisa Lagos. She's with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. And Marisa, thank you. My pleasure. They thought they did everything right, and then they got sick. The phenomenon of breakthrough cases is making people concerned about COVID again, even after being fully vaccinated. In San Diego, 10% of COVID cases in the last 30 days were among those vaccinated. And in Los Angeles County, breakthrough COVID cases are on the rise. But as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, just a tiny number of vaccinated people get sick enough for the hospital. In early July, Jenny and Mike McCarg stood in line with their two teenage daughters for the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. It was their first big outing in months. They were excited to spend a few days at the park, but seeing thousands of people without masks was jarring. Mike even said that first day, the probability of people walking in the park that had COVID and from there that had the actual Delta variant. They wore masks on the trip, but the night they drove home, Jenny felt ill. Then a couple of days later, I really was noticing I couldn't smell and taste. She opened a jar of garlic to see if she could smell it. She said, I think I can smell this. And it almost knocked me over on the other side of the room. And I said, uh, I'm going to go get us COVID tests right now. Despite being fully vaccinated, both Mike and Jenny tested positive for COVID-19. I did start crying because it was like... We did everything right. Weeks later, their younger daughter tested positive. And now what we have to be in another kind of forced lockdown, you know, just when we had this little bit of freedom. As the Delta variant has become more prevalent, infections among fully vaccinated residents are rising. In March, vaccinated people accounted for just 2% of all infections in L.A. County. Now, about a quarter of new COVID cases in L.A. are among people who have already been vaccinated. But very few of them get sick enough to go to the hospital. The real issue is that we don't know the transmission rate, but we do know it's happening. Eric Topol is a molecular medicine professor at Scripps Research. He says Delta is simply more dangerous. It has a shorter incubation period of just four days, making people contagious sooner. And it tends to produce even more virus inside people's bodies. That means some vaccinated people will transmit the virus to others. You know, obviously it's going to be low because most people vaccinated are not going to get infected. And even those who do get infected, a lot of them are going to be asymptomatic and only detected through testing. Topol says it's impossible to predict exactly how Delta will behave in the future. But watching other countries like India gives us some clues. Delta virus outbreaks tend to last 10 to 12 weeks. We have to face that it. it's going to be circulating for, for several weeks. And during that time, wearing a mask indoors, especially, is important. 
California's statewide mask mandate was scrapped in June when cases were low. That's when millions of people, including Nina Storm, headed out to newly reopened restaurants and comedy clubs. A few weeks later, she tested positive. What I've gone through is basically like having a bad flu, which isn't the end of the world as much as it's not been fun. She's recovering and has never doubted her decision to get vaccinated. Absolutely stand by it 100 percent. Had I not been vaccinated, it could be much worse, much longer, much more extreme, much scarier. Only a tiny fraction of vaccinated people end up in the hospital due to COVID. But some people do have more serious cases. A few days after they got back from Disneyland, Jenny McCarg convinced her husband Mike to go to the ER. He was having trouble breathing. By that evening, he was like, yeah, I think it's best for me to go. Mike was eager to check out as soon as his blood oxygen improved. It's taken a few weeks, but his cough and constant fatigue are slowly getting better. But now he has other worries. Yeah, I'm terrified of when the bill comes. You're literally saying, like, do I want potentially life-saving medical intervention at the cost of truly debilitating medical debt? It's a terrible situation. Under federal law, health insurance companies are not required to cover the full cost of COVID treatment. During the height of the pandemic, some insurers chose not to charge COVID patients. But now, some companies are quietly changing back to business as usual, leaving even fully vaccinated people to wonder, if I get COVID, how much will it cost? For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, You're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. On our weekend preview, we have a much-anticipated opening at the symphony's new outdoor venue. American classical music blended with interdisciplinary film at the La Jolla Music Society's Summerfest, plus an unusual visual art experience and a free circus performance. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans, and welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the big news. The symphony is finally opening its long-awaited outdoor venue, the Rady Shell at Jacobs Park. Tell us what we can expect. Even beyond what this means for music performance, the Shell is its one of those instant icons in, in architecture, even the city skyline. But for musical performance significance, I spoke with violinist Hannah Stewart talking about what makes it so special at the Shell. Thank you. 
The sound system we have here is completely unique in that you're not just amplifying the audience. We're also amplified on stage in a way where we can hear each other as individual musicians. So it's more like an indoor venue, which is absolutely remarkable. Most outdoor venues, it's very hard to hear each other and you kind of just have to blast and hope it sounds good out there. But here we can really fine tune everything and sound our best and it's absolutely amazing. Tonight, Friday, they will kick things off with a really great repertoire. It begins with a piece commissioned by contemporary composer Mason Bates, written specifically for the shell, and it's called Soundcheck in C Major. And they're doing a bunch of recognizable, iconic pieces too, like tunes from South Pacific, from the Barber of Seville, as well as Stravinsky's very famous Firebird Suite. And Saturday, they will perform the best of Broadway, and Sunday brings the legendary Gladys Knight to the Shell. Opening weekend for the San Diego Symphony's Shell outdoor venue begins tonight at 7.30. The San Diego Museum of Art will open an exhibition of photography with some very unique features. Julia, tell us about John Raymond Morales and his exhibition, Disestablishment. First, it's special when a big institution like STMA features a local contemporary artist. So that's exciting to see a gallery filled with local work. And second, it's in the free gallery. This is the the space that's sort of adjacent to the museum in Panama 66. It's the corridors that connect to the restaurant bathrooms. And the third thing is this is all about national monument lands that were once protected. But in 2017, they were slashed down to just a fraction of their prior size to make room for things like drilling and mining. So what the photographer Morales wanted to do was document these spaces while they're still pristine. And then he wants to challenge all of us to participate in a form of destruction to speak to what will happen to these lands. So the museum's gonna hold two public destruction events is what they're calling it. Those are gonna be in mid-September. So they will pull down the photography so that visitors can actually cause some real damage, like with knives or hammers or stomping on it, whatever. And then they'll rehang those works, the things with the public damage to them for the duration of the exhibition, which runs through the end of January. John Raymond Morales' exhibition, Disestablishment, opens on Saturday at the San Diego Museum of Art. Another classical music event you have your eye, or shall we say your ear on, is the La Jolla Music Society's annual Summerfest. The festival started last week, and this Saturday's show is a standout with a multidisciplinary artistic approach. Tell us about American Perspectives, Idealized Landscapes too. So there's some classical selections from composers like Charles Ives, John Williams, Aaron Copeland, and also contemporary works from Caroline Shaw, plus a world premiere by composer Gabriella Lina Frank. They're pairing a lot of these works um, that focus on the American landscape on the actual land with 
films. And for example, Frank's piece, Contested Eden, will be performed with a film screening of a dance film from Molly Katzman and co dancers. And the Charles Ives piece will accompany photography from um, this was stuff taken by New York Philharmonic trumpet player Ethan Benstorf. And he photographed the empty streets in New York during those early stages of lockdown. And it's all set to Charles Ives' The Unanswered Question. American Perspectives Idealized Landscapes 2 will take place live at the Conrad Saturday at 7.30 or can be streamed through September 6th. And finally this weekend, Fern Street Circus kicks off what they're calling a neighborhood tour. Tell us about the first show. This tour will take up the full month of August with free performances every Sunday at a different park across town. And they start this Sunday at 2 p.m. at Bay Terrace Park and Rec Center, which is in the South Bay. And there will be juggling, puppetry, tightrope, contortion, and all of your favorite circus arts. The ringmaster is Mimo Mendez and will be hosting a bilingual show. Fern Street Circus performs Sunday at 2 p.m. at Bay Terrace Park. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org slash arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. And thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.